You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast from the Cannes Film Festival. On today's edition, Manola Dargis joins Nicholas Rapol to discuss Lee Chang Dong's Burning, Alice Rohrwacher's Lazaro Felice, Gaspar Noe's Climax, Lars von Trier's The House That Jack Built, as well as the privilege of being at Cannes. But first, a word from our sponsors. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Bruno Forzani and Helene Cadet's Let the Corpses Tan a deliriously stylish homage to 1970s Italian crime films soaked with blood, sun, and sex, featuring music by Ennio Morricone, in theaters starting August 31st. Autograph Collection hotels are carefully chosen for their unique design, passion for craft, and an inherent connection to the locale. Each hotel has its own exactly-like-nothing-else story to tell. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project supports independent film and celebrates the power of storytelling to inspire and connect people and places by leaving a lasting imprint. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. This episode of the Film Comment Podcast is brought to you by MUBI. From timeless masterpieces to festival fresh darlings, every film is hand-selected. Try MUBI free for 30 days at MUBI.com slash filmcomment for your extended free trial. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nick Rapold, Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and we're here on our last podcast of the Cannes Film Festival. Someone recently called me out for my diphthong drift or something and slowly <laughs> pronouncing Cannes as Khan and what can I say, it's been a long week, but that's where we are now. And uh, before I get to our very special guest, I just want to, at the top of the hour, give a thank you to everyone working very hard back at the office on turning all these podcasts around. Uh, Violet, Michael, and uh, Michael Offsite, an editor, and uh, Laura uh, and Vicky. Uh, so thank you all uh, very much. And now uh, we're very pleased and, and delighted and honored to have Manola Dargis. Hi. <laughs> I wish people could see we're, st- we're we're sitting here on this on this very sunny tourist kind of cling cling to the shadows yes. holding these really heavy mics. <laughs> really heavy mics. Uh, looking out at a little bit of the town, and we can see the hills in the distance, and it's very pretty. And what I'm trying to do is actually see if there are any snipers uh, that I can spot on any of the rooftops because uh, one of the things that is very we talk. We can talk a lot about movies in the next half an hour, but the other thing is, I just walked past a couple of uh, security dogs with their handlers, and a number of police on um, horseback. In addition to the usual uh, national police and local police, carrying either submachine guns or machine guns. I don't really know the difference. Anyway, nothing but fun here yes. at the seventy-first. Again, film festival. Yeah, I like to think we're being well taken care of. Uh, I guess. Yeah, but it is, yeah, it is part of the experience. Uh, So, I don't know, maybe it's a way of increasing the sense of value of the films, that that they're guarded. (laughs) I don't know, man, but it's just like, it just means that you have longer lines, among other things. And I am very grateful to be protected, of course, and I'm not trying in any way to make light of it. I just, I do think, like, it it creates, this is very different. I've been coming here for 20 years, and this is, this is very different. The festival's tenure is just tenor is very, very uh, different than it used to be. Um, yeah. It's There are far uh, fewer people just kind of milling about. There used to be mm. like 
guys in their Lamborghinis and Ferraris just <laughs> gunning their motors, crawling up yeah. and down the streets. And it's just, it's a lot. There are many fewer people than, than used to be here. But yeah. we have many movies. Yeah, it's many, many movies. And I, I mean, are there any other ways that the festival has kind of changed in, since you've seen it? I think the other thing that seems like, you know, the, the red carpet has historically been a really important part of it, like like every festival has a lot. But I think what's interesting is I think there's been a kind of very uh, ferocious branding of the red carpet, you know, that it's not just, oh, here's a red carpet, celebrities are going to walk on it. It's Cannes has really kind of seized on that as its, its brand and to the point of that, you know, we know that you can't take selfies, but you can't even take any photos. You're not supposed to take any photos. Like even if you stand on a press terrace overlooking, uh, you are not allowed by the guards to take photos, which is weird. Yeah, that's that's kind of a feels like a kind of a trademarky thing, like not being able to take picture of the Disney cast, Magic Kingdom castle exactly, or something unless you're exactly. on the property. So but I think in terms of, you know, the kind of they're in competition with other kind of world events, you know, Berlin mm. and Venice in particular. Right. I think Venice in particular lesser extent Telluride um, and so I think it's part of their kind of exerting their muscle is to really right. kind of emphasize that so that's yeah. it feels much more corporate to me yeah more more corporate um, and while at the same time as you mentioned in, in, in one of your dispatches that's at the same time while maintaining this reputation as being this you know art mecca I mean it's an interesting balance I mean I, I do Maybe I'm buying into it too much, but I do still have that sense that it is kind of special to see like a motorcade come through and you know that it might just be a filmmaker in there or a jury in there going on the way to somewhere, but maybe. Yeah, I'm- and there are people who are not, I mean, I think particularly for an American, you know, um, you know, for the stars here are like the South Korean director Lee Chang-dong, who made right. one of the best <laughs> movies here, Burning, which we can talk about, but yeah. it's kind of great that someone who will have a very minor box office, it's just, I like the assertion of art and how this is very important. I do think, I don't think it's naive, but I think it's just important to kind of understand how Cannes really operates, that it's made its name, reputation as a cinematic mecca on the art film, and yet, you know, it does have down below (laughs) the the kind of dirty commerce going on because the Uh market, I mean, I think it's always interesting, like upstairs, there is the, it's all about art. (laughs) And down in the belly of the beast. down in the belly of the beast is where all the, the like, all the big, the deals are going on because this is a, this is also the world's biggest film market. And so it's not just about, you know, beautiful starlets and beautiful stars and, and our favorite auteurs. It's, it's about the deals. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I guess often the, the, the things that make, you know, are actually getting deals are not things like the Lee Chang Dong no, whatsoever. they movies that you and I would just run screaming from probably, yeah, you know, yeah. but we'll, we'll probably have to review at some point. Yes, but I mean, you know, we can we can rectify that in our small way, I guess, by talking about some of those films. I okay. Mean, and Burning, you know, definitely a movie I hope wins a prize uh, yes. tonight. Just to give you a timestamp, uh, we're recording just before the ceremony on the Saturday. So that's, you know, we're kind of uh, awaiting. Right. That. And so right now there are a lot of rumors. Usually there's a lot of rumors floating about uh, about who has been called back. So what happens is that everyone has their premiere and they either go or they kind of hover around can, <laughs> And then they get the phone call from the festival saying to come back. You have won some prize. Right. I don't think that they actually know. They don't say what exactly the prize is, but mm. that you've received something. And so... Yeah. And so everyone who has any sort of, you know, relationship to that movie, the publicists, 
the distributors, the agents, and so forth, they're all just a buzz because they know who's been called back. Right. So that's, you know, we have an idea. And so yeah. I haven't heard anything yeah. about about burning, unfortunately. Oh, well, it's too bad. Which is definitely, I think, uh, if not, I don't think there's one critical favorite, unlike the Tony Erdman year. Right. But I think that it's definitely one of the critical favorites here. Yeah. I mean, I, by one measure, not that it's a, you know, absolute quantitative one, but one of the critics' grids, I guess, had it very highly rated, the uh, burning, um, and I guess... The, just off the top of my head. Right, but, but as we need to remind people, <laughs> the critics do not give out the prize. This is true, <laughs> except in one one case. Yeah, that's except in one case. Where, but, where but, they did give the prize to right, burning. So. Right, so that's the Freshie. <laughs> yeah. But um, the I think one of the things that is always really funny is that you'll read these accounts and people will be like, you know, despite being a critical favorite, it's like the jury does not care what we think. <laughs> no. You know, they're really kind of in their own little deluxe world going to parties yeah. every night and you know. Yeah, my, my favorite moment in the in the post awards ceremony uh, press conference, which always has a few gems uh, from last year, is Will Smith just happily raving about Jupiter's Moon, <laughs> which is uh, you know a movie that swiftly disappeared right, as soon right. as it floated through the theaters right. here. So um, you know this these are nine people. Uh, I mean you know for me the most interesting thing about the jury this year is that it's a, a female dominated jury um, that, uh, with. Uh, Five women and four men, uh, led by a woman, Kate Blanchett. And so the fact is, two of the titles that I've heard called back are by women. So we'll just have to mm. see that. Elise Rohrucker, I don't mm. know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly or not. Uh, she I, made one of my other favorite movies yes, here. Yes, that movie. Uh, which I'm going to use the, the English translation, which is Happy as Lazaro. Lazaro, yeah, yes. Yes, Lazaro, so, which yeah. is a really interesting movie. I think you probably have already talked about it. We have, it a, but by all means, there's talking about it more than once is, is part of the fun. I mean. um, no, I just think she has a really uh, incredibly delicate touch, and um, I like... I like the like this and like burning that you you get politics in these movies, but they're not foregrounded the way oftentimes right. it becomes this kind of didactic thing in American yeah. movies. It's not to say that other films aren't didactic from other countries, but American movies often tend to somehow foreground their politics in really banal ways. And you know, I you know uh, both the Rocker and the Lee Chong Dong movie politics are there, but they just kind of are see it's they seep into everyday life into yeah. just normal life and. You kind of almost don't know it until maybe a little bit later because you're yeah. so wrapped up and involved in the characters and what's happening. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's you know, especially the case with Burning. I felt where you're, you're getting. I I got so drawn into this outsider farmer's world because that that you you don't realize it after a while. The, the different forces that are kind of driving him. Right. There are three. Uh, so Burning, um, I'm not sure. Have you guys talked about this? We, uh, we have, have a little, yeah. Just so yeah. for those who the have not. Story, is, yeah. um, it turns on a young man who's recently graduated from college and who kind of fancies himself as a, as a writer, but he hasn't really written anything. He likes Faulkner. He, he uh, becomes involved with a young woman who's kind of a mysterious figure from his past and is kind of right. already ominous quality. Yeah. And she, in turn, brings in a third person uh, into the into the little group. Uh, and this person is played by the uh, American actor Stephen Yoon, who should be a movie star. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I who's agree. Tremendous. Yeah. And it's a very 
it, it's not a slow movie at all. I wouldn't say that, but it's a kind of gradual shifting of uh, kind of power relations among all three. Mm. And it's about gender and it's about class and everything, you know, that yeah. that is interesting. But you maybe don't even notice as it's happening that it's about those things. Yeah. And and, and it's it also the movie doesn't like peg, peg itself to any one of those no. things for mo- most of it. It's not like most of it's him like pining. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's hard to, to, to get a hold of. And that's kind of what's nice, that kind of slippery quality to it, which you know kind of culminates in a couple of moments of real magic <laughs> i think it has yeah. one of i think i've, I've we tried the dance right the dance, so the yeah. dance there's a there's a sequence in this movie that i think is one of the most beautiful sequences i've seen in so many years i can't even like it is just truly one yeah. of those movies and i think his use the director's use of beauty is really interesting mm. because it's a you know, we also we talk about like what a director's signature is, quote unquote. You know, this is such an auteurist mm. idea, and it, and you, his, you know, his style is pretty straight ahead. You know, it's mm-hmm. not he's, he's not prone to like fancy camera movements. He's not throwing the camera right. around. It's not very fast paced, yeah. or so it's a kind of, it kind of eases in. It takes a while, and then he just unleashes these moments of beauty that yeah. just kind of knock you back and these kind of moments of the sublime I think yeah. that and in this dance sequence when a young woman dances at twilight the two men is a real turning point in the movie and it kind of sh- it changes everything that happens thereafter it's just yeah. extraordinary yeah it's it's almost that he has to show you that before you know before the the other things happen the other things <laughs> happen say, yeah um, never read movie reviews until after you see the movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's good practice especially here because because i mean here a lot of movies can get kind of distorted for you when you when you hear about them the first time um i mean we don't have to go into it but i, I this gaspar noe movie that people were just over the moon about and i know of, and i like forced i was like oh my god i gotta go see the yeah. gaspar noe which i was not going to go see but it was just people were I know, and it's cr- certainly the role of social media, not to sound like a, the old, um, you know, person I am, but um, is it gets very amplified, and suddenly sure. you're there at the festival, and you're thinking, oh, my God, I need to see that movie. And right. so I rush yeah. over there, and I really like the first half an hour, and then it just turns into a boneheaded Gaspar Noé movie. So <laughs> I just like... Yeah, which I try to make more interesting in my head just by thinking, oh, maybe this is a kind of a zombie movie in a way. It just felt like that after <laughs> sure, a while. Sure, why not? Just so... remake the movie. <laughs> you know, your yeah, remake is sounds, it sounds better than the <laughs> yeah. one that we actually watched. Um, yeah. I just uh, don't think... I mean, I think he's got great, great craft. He's, he's really, you know, the stuff looks great. And it's a bunch, a bunch of dancers who are locked in a room, and we kind of go from kind of a paradise scene to basically hell over the course of a movie. And yeah. it's, you know, the camera turns upside down, there's pulsing <laughs> colors, there's great sound, great dancing. Yeah. And I just think I, I don't care. I just <laughs> don't care. Yeah. I also felt like some of the dancing, I mean, at first he filmed it in an interesting way, and then later on he's doing these overhead shots where it's like you can, I mean, I mean, not that the job is to make it pleasurable. Maybe at that point it's not, but yeah. at that point it's like, well, you're not even getting to see what they're doing really or their, their moves mostly. Um, but anyway, it's obviously not mainly a dance movie. It's mainly a Gaspar Noe movie. It is a Gaspar Noe um, movie, for better or for worse. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think, I mean, I think that it's very hard. People, there's all sorts of... Uh, different things that you know you, you don't write about generally speaking when you're writing about can because no one wants to hear about it you don't want to oh poor journalist going to can <laughs> boo hoo you're not getting enough sleep oh that's sad that you have to get up early and go to bed late but, you know it's it's freaking hard sometimes here you know and it's like i 
doing interviews when you've had four hours sleep is just uh, unpleasant. It just is. You yeah, know? and maybe no meals until you know, the interview no as well. Yeah, Eating here is very hard. Yeah. Uh, it becomes a practice. I was, you know, basically... I've heard of people sneaking food in. Not to say that I snuck food in, but, you know, because you, you there's no food allowed inside no this food. Palais. And if you're seeing, like, five movies yeah. back to back, you get a little hungry. Sure. And I mean... Oh, now we have a helicopter, a helicopter which, uh, which is part of, I'm assuming, the security. Sort of, yeah, recon or yeah. something. Yeah, no, and, and even sometimes water, they look askance at, and then at that point, you just think they're actually just trying to kill you, maybe. Somebody took away my little candies, and I just thought, really, <laughs> dude, taking my little candies that were going to maybe carry me from, you know, movie four <laughs> into movie five without desperation. Yeah, you have to have a fighting chance, at least. No, it's really yeah. kind of, so, and of course, so nobody wants to hear about it. They want to hear about the movies. But sure, I, yes. Uh-huh. But I think, no, no, I mean, so we don't write about how existentially, like, it's like, oh. <laughs> um, yeah. But I also think just the weird... The, the weird thing of just seeing one movie after another. Yeah. It's very, it can be very pleasurable. It can be very right. grinding. It's true. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, it's an interesting because you do, I mean, when you do have a movie where you see four really stimulating movies in a day, I mean, it's, it's almost, uh, cinema is not dead, cinema man. Is not dead, but it's almost like, a, a, uh, I don't know. It's almost like hallucinogenic in a way when you're seeing that many very close together. Um, you don't uh, want to do too many. I think my, the most I've ever done here is seven. And that was a total mistake seven. Um, because you, I, I really could not remember what I'd seen. I just yeah. thought I was in a state of delirium. Yeah. When you get to you seven, know? you kind of start to dissociate. I think yeah, when no, you spend more hours looking at something than actually sleeping. Um, but, you mentioned the Rohrwalker film, yeah. which is definitely worth uh, dwelling on in so many ways, um, you know, as, as, as a film that, uh, you know, she just manages to capture this semi-magical, lyrical, bucolic kind of um, setting. Um, but, you know, as she fleshes out that portrait, you realize, and they tell you, that they're still living under the um, sharecropper Feudal- feudal feudalism, system. basically. It's kind yeah. of post-feudalist world. I mean, I think it's that she... So it's about a young man who's part of this kind of strange village where um, they're all related in some ways. In fact, he doesn't even know who his parents are. It's really, they're kind of living this communal way, but they're unbelievably poor. And it's one of those movies where you're actually not even sure of what the time frame is. And so you're watching for little details like no cell phones. These people have no radio. There's no TV. So I'm thinking... I, I wasn't sure initially. It was like I said, the late fifties, and you, then a car approaches, and you try to figure out what the car yeah. is. But the clothes could be, you know, could have been worn by people in the nineteen twenties. Right. So this kind of village from that, from one angle, seems it's not quite a village; it's more like a settlement. It seems very pastoral, but actually they're living under terrible conditions, and they're so right. isolated. And they're not living really in the modern world. And what she does is she bridges um, Italy's past and its kind of present um, mm. in one story using, a, you know, a kind of dash of magical realism, Yeah, yeah. Um, which I, is quite lovely. Yeah, and it's it's nice that she's able to do that considering that there is a, you know, a pretty hefty tradition of that of that kind of clash between modern and, and traditional and, and modern and ancient even in, in, in like Italian movies, um, you know, but she's able to basically reinvent it and reinvigorate it. And I don't know, I, I, I'm really happy also that she seems to be becoming a kind of auteur in, in this sense, not that Ability-wise, yes, but I just mean in terms of reputation. Hopefully, that's like because yes. that's because that's part of what happens here. I, I can is that is that creation of phenomena, you know. Exactly. So therefore, we have to deal for years with you know whatever von Lars von Trier produces. <laughs> whether right. We like it or not. He farts and everyone says, <laughs> "Oh, he has a new auteurist uh, manifestation." <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so hopefully that's that's happening as well. Although we could also talk about whether that auteur, you know, central idea is a 
counterproductive one or not. I, mean, I know. I mean, there's, you know, there's certainly arguments to be made against it. I'm, I'm not interested in making it. Sorry. I'm not because no, I'm bored sure. by it, but it's just like, I, I'd like to reserve it still. I think that, that, you know, the fact that it's been really kind of male associated with men and has more to do with mm -hmm. not the concept itself. And certainly there are certainly people who would argue against that, mm. but at least in movies, I still believe in the author, <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, I still do. And I'd like to, I, maybe yeah. I just want more yeah. female auteurs before we ditch the whole, you know, idea. Yeah. No, I agree with that. It's because, uh, yeah, then you're kind of like, oh, well, they didn't, didn't, oh, didn't even get a great. chance. <laughs> so, so we're going to get rid of it before we even get a chance. Well, you know, screw you. Yeah. So. Yeah. That doesn't seem quite so, fair. Um, no, I like it. And I think that you, there's all sorts of ways to be cynical about auteurism on the other hand. It is in itself a way that filmmakers can, they get a reputation, which means they can get money, which means right. they can get, you know, they can make their next movie, which means their next movie can be seen. Yeah. I mean, it is part of a whole kind of chain of production that I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, with, the, and not that she's a brand whatsoever, but th that's just somehow the, w the way language works in a uh, <laughs> capitalist society. Yeah, well, yes, exactly. You, know, you so, need to be a clearly delineated thing of um, some sort. And that's, but, a, you know, I'm, I'm, Yes, people are starting to talk about the Roar Rocker. The Roar you know, Rocker. That's how I like we. That. That's yeah. how we we do that's it. It's like, are you going to go see the? Are you going to see the Spike Lee? The this is always the, the how we kind of do the, <laughs> the auteurist turn here. Yeah, uh, and one last note on Roar Walker is that I love how my phone is correcting it, which is two words: Roar, R O A R, and Walker. <laughs> that's awesome. Good, good nickname. It's really great. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project celebrates the synergy between independent film and Autograph Collection hotels. Indie filmmakers and screenwriters tell stories that inspire and connect us. And at Autograph Collection Hotels, storytelling is in our DNA, enabling travelers to connect with each other and places around the world in a memorable way. This dynamic cultural program is anchored in three key programs, screenwriters in residency, free indie films streamed at hotels throughout the U.S. and Canada, a portfolio of beautiful hotels and key film festival destinations. Learn more by visiting autographcollectionhotels.com. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Bruno Forzani and Hélène Cattat's Let the Corpses Tan. In this homage to 1970s Italian crime films, complete with music by Ennio Morricone, cops and robbers engage in an all-day firefight on the cliffs of the Mediterranean. Screen International calls it a, quote, meticulously executed, obsessively stylized exercise in genre worship. You almost expect to see Dario Argento or Mario Bava's name on the credits, end quote. Let the Corpses Tan opens August 31st at Quad Cinema and Alamo Drafthouse before expanding to select cities. While we're here reporting from the Croissette, those who aren't with us can still enjoy the films of Cannes. Mubi is presenting a fantastic lineup of favorites from past years of the festival. Now showing on Mubi is Andrei Tarkovsky's Nostalgia. Made in exile from the USSR, Nostalgia is a uniquely personal masterwork that stands with his best. Winner of Best Director at Cannes, an honor he shared with Robert Bresson. Discover this along with 29 other hand-picked films streaming right now on Mubi for free. Just go to mubi.com slash film comment to claim your extended 30-day free trial. So, well, I mean, you know, one thing that that movie also made me think of is something I kept seeing here in the movies a bit uh, was this sense of like new families 
makeshift mm-hmm. families, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's just I'm homesick, but <laughs> but uh, uh, but uh, can, can is my family, of course. No, um, but I just felt Dude, that there. No. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. I felt it in that movie because in the kind of second half of the movie, which we won't give away how it gets to the second half, but in that part of the movie, there is a sense of like a, a kind of makeshift family that's happening. And then for some reason, I'm kind of blanking on other. The Coriata. Coriata. Yeah, the exactly. shoplifters. Yeah, which is a, also about a family. Yeah. And a family, one of the, you know, Corieta is one of those filmmakers who often, not always, but makes kind of variations mm. on a theme, um, yeah. very interested in family. And this is another family movie. But um, what I love about, one of the things I love, the performances are lovely. The family is great. They're just crowded into this small, yeah. old-fashioned house. And they, and they call each other, you know, mom, dad, grandma. But their relationships and the actual what their connections are, are, are not, are slowly revealed. They're kind of peeled away slowly. And you're like, Oh, 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 that's what that story. Like, and I love that because you don't even know when you're watching the beginning that there's any sort of mystery to how these characters are all happen to be in this one very overcrowded, messy house. And part of, it turns into a kind of mystery story about how this group of people ended up there, Yeah, um, which I think is quite lovely. Yeah, I I loved it too. And it also kind of makes you work in a way and and, and also works against the kind of cliche that people develop around Coreta, you know, that he does these, you know, uh, somewhat comfortable family mo- movies in some ways. No, this is a very, this is this actually is uncomfortable. Un- yeah, <laughs> this is actively very, uncomfortable. Like, yeah. I mean, it was, that was, I'd say one of the, not the Gaspar Noe, this is one of the bigger shocks, you know, you get uh, for me. Well, um, some of the most discomforting moments yeah. or awkward moments have been in movies that, you know, I'm burning, I think has got some of the scariest things in a movie. Absolutely. Yeah. And then also the Corriere, you know, where it's you know there are these children in this movie who are in peril but not in a kind of really kind of melodramatic way and it's kind of it takes you a while to realize what's happening in the Corietta. that's what I yeah. love I love the slow yeah. realization that he takes he's yeah. he's you're he's keeping information back you know back 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 and you know back to back to burning which uh the Lee Cheng Dong movie has one of I mean, one of the scariest characters, and you don't understand how scary that character is. Yeah. And his the it's uh, a character who's really terrifying <laughs> to the point where I, like, I realize, like, sitting there watching, I think, oh, oh, you're a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's pretty scary. Yeah, and and it's it's just an interesting. I mean, it, it interesting getting this kind of portrait of you know the kind of wealthy classes that in, in some of the, watching a number of movies here you just get this sense of us as a presence that are exerting more you know control over your lives than sometimes you realize and and the way that's portrayed differently in different movies you know like under the silver lake it has its own kind of paranoiac almost nostalgic we paranoid. have to talk about under the silver lake <laughs> no, i'd really i was gonna cruise past to, it i was gonna cruise you, past it i mean some of the most interesting movies and again i don't want to i don't want to needlessly foreground this but i do want to just say some of the most interesting movies really did have to do with class in a way mm-hmm. and the, in the way that i mean that's unexpected you know oftentimes but i like the kind of insistence on class in a lot of these movies um, and everyone grappling. I mean, there's movies about immigrants and yeah. there's movies about the haves and have nots. I mean, one of the, the movies that um, I liked very much and saw very late was Aika by Sergei, oh, yeah. and I do not know how to pronounce his last name. Do you want to Sergei D is how I call him. Okay, Sergei <laughs> D, which is terrible. He made a movie. Sergei Dvortsvoy, I think. Is it Tupin or Tulpan? A couple Tul- years Tulpan. Tulpan a couple years ago. And this is a movie that watching it, I mean, one of the terrible things you do, 
is you watch a movie and you think, oh yeah, this is like Rosetta. And that's terrible because you're already putting a kind of frame around the movie, which is not fair, but it's its own thing. And you're watching another very uh, single-minded character, a woman in danger in this very dangerous situation, who has this kind of ferocious uh, thing that she needs to do. And she's shut everyone out. And so it made me think of Rosetta, but doesn't have quite the, doesn't have the same visual style. I mean, it's not the shaky camera as much. But it reminded me of that kind of, and she's just incredibly destitute. And she is just struggling, struggling, struggling. I mean, this is a movie that she basically, <laughs> that begins with, she's just given birth and she runs out of the hospital and she's like bleeding all over the place. And if that's not a way to get you going on the, on the edge of your seat, I mean, it's yeah. really tense and very yeah. upsetting. Yeah, and then immediately runs to her job, which is beating the feathers off chickens. <laughs> chickens that seem to have been like boiled alive. Boiled, yeah. I mean, that was really tough. Yeah, you know? I think it's from a Wiseman movie. I know that that's how they do it or something. Oh, it's so awful. <laughs> they boil it first, boil them oh, first. Awful. Anyway, you learn a lot about uh, <laughs> husbandry, animal husbandry here. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's also a powerful film. Coming at the end, I, I don't, you know, it's another thing we've talked about a little bit is where things are programmed and, and why. I mean, I would just say quickly about the Roarwalker and Shoplifters, that was a, like a nice pairing. Those were within a day or two. Yeah. And it made, it made me think differently about each of them in interesting ways. I think the festival takes too often the festival takes too long to get going and so by you know day three people are already complaining about it and (laughs) and uh, and you're just like it's our, it's just started. Can we can we yeah. not bury it yet? You know, I'd really <laughs> prefer to see a few more movies yeah. before we decide that can is over, which is such a boring like yeah. refrain. Yeah, and, and then sometimes things kind of blow up and go away or, or come and go. I, I, I somehow I felt that three faces didn't really necessarily get its due, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah, but. no, I think it's weird how it was a position. Also, I think you know you have to ask yourself why was the the Nuri Bilga. Ceylon, is that how you pronounce his last name? Or Ceylon? I don't it's know. It's, it's, it's Ceylon or Ceylon. Ceylon. Or uh, like that. The Wild yeah, Pear Tree was shown to critics at 8 o'clock at night, and it's three hours. Yeah. That was that was a, that was rough. That was man. a cool trick. <laughs> <laughs> and you just and being shown just at the very end in that kind of hour, you know, it's hard not to wonder if the festival programmers don't really like the movie. Right. But he's won big award. I think he won the Palm here. So yeah, uh, winter so sleep. he you know he's here, and they do. They do need their auteurs, but sometimes you yeah. kind of wonder about their relationship with the yeah, auteurs. Yeah, if it's begrudging about yeah, this exactly. one, maybe this one was just too long. I mean, that's one of the rumors thing. I guess I heard a rumor that he was asked to cut it or it was requested that he cut it uh-huh. down a little. I don't know whether he did and or didn't. And it wasn't quite finished. You could actually see some of the scenes were not quite finished. They, yeah, there was something off on the, on the timing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just... Uh, you. you know, did you? What did you think of that? The wild. I thought that it would have been gr- really much better at two hours. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think it for yeah. me just it is. It's got some great passages. Um, he's one of I like him. I, he's somebody who I often I have this kind of reserve about because I feel like I'm watching someone who is kind of going by a certain kind of art cinema playbook in a way, and the studiedness of it. I'm very aware of it, you know, yeah, where you're yeah. thinking there's a certain kind of art film cliches at this point that I've just kind of my just my eyes just graze back, you know, yeah. just go back. And I'm I'm thinking I really want some sort of like, yeah, no, you know. It, it's, it's you know, it's like the variation on the Chekhov on a gun thing. When you see a well, you're like, well, I hope no one falls into that metaphor. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's very unsafe to have that lying around. Here's a very here's a long shot. Yeah. You know, yeah, he, he's almost 
I guess you could almost call it like a classical mode he's he's in now, just in the sense of being very traditional use of symbols and philosophical speeches mm-hmm. for conveying things, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kind of, of also a very traditional concern of a young man becoming a man and becoming and having some sort of responsibility and maturing and thinking. And I mean, one of my favorite, I guess, one of the things I liked about it is I think that the lead character is just completely disgusting and I can't stand him, <laughs> yeah, you know? I know yeah. And I think that it's quite, good. I like when, when when the protagonist is kind of a jerk, you know, and, <laughs> and completely intolerable and I wouldn't yeah. have minded him falling down that well. <laughs> um, I liked his dad much better, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But it didn't quite have the, uh, it's a lot of buildup and I'm not really sure there's yeah. the, I hate to reduce movies, it's the payoff. Like, you're just like, okay. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know, I'm just... I'm a little skeptical about him. Yeah. Sometimes I love him, you know. Yeah, it's it's very very deep dish. You have to have appetite for that, I guess. Um, that actually reminds me. Maybe there are a couple other later movies that I'm curious what you thought, like the Nadine Labaki movie, the Kapar. I think the Nadine Labaki movie needs to lose all of its music, and I would really like to see that movie without its truly terrible music. The truly terrible music that was hitting you over the head to feel things that you were yeah. already feeling. I mean, to have that kind of really overdramatic music when you're watching scenes of of child imperilment hmm. just strikes me as very foolish. Yeah. And it might, I don't know if it's, I was talking to someone who was insisting that it's a, a cultural thing and mm. that may be the case, but it just was not uh, translating for me. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's some really good things in it and there's some really terrible things in it. So I would, one of the other things that we see here consistently, the movies are not quite finished, you know, yeah. and you kind of feel like you're one of these audiences out in Burbank watching a kind of a test cut for, <laughs> right, except right. you're in, not in beautiful downtown Burbank. You're here, you yeah, know? Yeah. And that's kind of strange. It, it's, a, it's, it's really strange for, I mean, I, that might be another case where I'm kind of naive, not having the experience of that. But you know, when I first sort of, you know, realized that's what was happening, I don't know, two or three years ago, with a couple films, I was like, can you imagine having the deadline for your film? Like you're rushing to finish it to be shown. Yeah. And ha- I mean, it's, it also just seems like the height of like anxiety and stress for a filmmaker too. That and and I mean, going back to art and commerce, it's like I just feel sorry that that's their deadline somehow. You know. Yeah, I mean, but there's always Venice, right? You know, <laughs> and there's Telluride, and yeah, if you know, and then there's Toronto, the lineup, the fall lineup. I mean, I think that you know, we don't talk about how the um, the hideous so-called award season has impacted festivals, and mm-hmm. I think one of the things you know, United States now is the the kind of mainstream movie world is so dominated by the so-called award season, which really starts, um, I guess, Telluride, Toronto, and uh, Venice, you know, in the late summer, early fall. And then it's all the, you know, it's the long slog to the Oscars. <laughs> you know, there's always, there has been for quite some time now this problem, this so-called problem that, that Cannes has because it's in May. Mm-hmm. And then if a movie doesn't do well... Mm-hmm. You know, or if it does well, but maybe it's kind of gotten so much attention, then how do you revive interest again right. you know, in the fall? I mean, it hasn't hurt some movies, obviously. You know, yeah. No Country for Old Men played here and did very That's well yeah. and did, you know, certainly was yeah. impacted. But there have been really, truly terrible, um, you know, examples like Southland Tales, which was, you know, unfairly received oh, here right. mm-hmm. and, you know, never really recovered. Maybe it would never have recovered, but this is such a big 
stage. Um, yeah. So there, you know, that's this has been a an issue for decades. Yeah. You know, particularly with Americans being very reluctant to show their work here. Yeah. I'm L.A. Confidential. The producers had to bring. You know, they themselves brought the film over. Warner Brothers did not want them huh. to uh, wow. submit the film, okay. but they wanted it. You know, I think yeah. that, and it made sense. You know, because yeah. it kind of positioned the movie in a different way. Yeah. And also that the the big American studios, <laughs> which there are few and fewer of, mm-hmm. um, you know, they don't make the kinds of movies particularly since they've uh, closed a lot of their little, you know, so-called boutique divisions, they don't really make the kind of movies that would really play here. I mean, you know, yes, they showed a Star Wars movies, but come on, we know why they did that. It's just like, (laughs) I mean, whatever, who cares? Um, Get some space glitz. Yeah, but the other kinds of, in terms of like dramas and, you know, it's like you have to wait for a new Coen Brothers movie. You have to wait for something that might actually be acceptable for can to be here so yeah yeah uh, i mean you know i i'm kind of curious given that kind of state of the landscape uh, you know you're obviously in a position where you can you you kind of have a, a you know stronger voice and stronger platform like w- when you choose what to write about or, or or you know even just when you choose who to write about is is that kind of in your mind at a certain point that you want to be able to give attention to some some things and other things? I mean, or? I'd have to balance it between yeah. what I know is going to be like a, a very good get, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. I think there was interest in certainly, you know, the bigger names. Uh, so I interviewed uh, Spike Lee and Lars von Trier. And, you know, did yeah. I, I, you know, I don't like the Lars von Trier movie, but it seemed like a kind of smart thing to interview him. And mm-hmm. it was... right pretty hilarious to do so um but would you like to elaborate on that a bit? <laughs> you know i was taken out to some weird villa and you know and he was he's just a, he's a he's a very you know strange dude i don't know what to say he's got a very interesting affect you don't know if he's screwing with you right. you cannot he's real i found him impossible to read mm-hmm. um and so my approach to interviewing him was just to like be as aggressive as i could without being insulting mm-hmm. i mean i came pretty close to being insulting but mm-hmm. You know, like when he said he was against political correctness, I was just like, come on, man. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? It's bullshit. You know? <laughs> um, and so I think he was entertained, maybe. I couldn't tell if he was entertained or ta- if he was taken aback. I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, I really don't care. But it was just, you know, you want to have people read your work. And then if you can also then say something about the uh, Liche Rohrwacher, then that's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. so... You know, putting that in the first paragraph of a of a, a notebook is definitely a strategic move. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, yeah. I mean, it's you do what you can, yeah, my friend. You know how it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just curious. Um, well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I guess we're ra- sort of wrapping up. Any sort of final thoughts or any other movies we missed? Um, I guess, what is it about journalists and critics that they have to decide if it was the worst can ever <laughs> or the best can ever? I find that just really fascinating. Yeah. It, what is that? I, I, is it just because they're always, they always have to like, you know, put their little thumb in the air and their little thumb down? What, what is that? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's a way of like, it's drama, giving some drama to it so you don't just know, feel like you what are you are. Like, people are freaking privileged yeah. uh, to be able to come here. It doesn't True. matter if they're working for the New York Times or for it's whatever true. outlet they are. It's like you are being able to, you're, you're watching these movies in really quite really good conditions. <laughs> big, big theaters. What are you talking about? You know. That the sun goes down. You know, <laughs> yeah, never mind you're in the freaking, you know, I keep saying freaking instead of what I really want to say. Um, I'm just, I feel, I mean, one of the differences is like at Sundance, you see a bunch of miserable little Sundance movies, and some of them are great, some of them are not. Here you go out, it's 75 degrees, and you think, 
I'll have a glass of rosé, thank you. <laughs> so nobody should ever complain here. They just yeah. shouldn't. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I, you know, and I also, I'm going to say this, like, I am incredibly uh, aware of my privilege here. It's like, I have a really great pass, and I know it's really, really hard on people who don't have, I mean, one of the, I think the thing that really sucks here is the pass system. I yeah. think that's really unfair, yeah. and I wish they would change it. I mean, they beheaded their royalty, but they have maintained <laughs> this ridiculous caste system here yeah. that makes it incredibly difficult for people to see movies. And I, I think that that would be a thing that they need to really change. That's a thing that I think is actually offensive here, mm. is that. Yeah, I, I, it's yeah, it's so hierarchical and impenetrable. Just yeah, you don't even know why. It Privileges are taken away. Your badge is taken away. People are really yeah. afraid of having their badges taken away. I mean, it's really not cool. And it's a yeah. really, I don't think that they need to do it. And so I'm right. not really sure why they do it. It's yeah. completely possible to run a film festival without this ridiculous hierarchy of badges yeah. that makes people stand in the goddamn rain for hours at a time. Oh, right. Yeah. That's like, just disgusting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That is pretty uh, ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know what to say about that. I, I've had no, so it's many just gross. It's just a gross yeah. thing. And so on the one hand, yeah. I think, you know, we are super fortunate, you know, and, but I yeah. also just feel really fortunate to be able, I love being able to see movies before they've been through the publicity grind. Yes. That is the most beautiful thing. Yeah. You see a movie, you just know the title, yeah. and you know who did it. Yeah. I, I, I try, I don't read any descriptions. Yeah. So you can just walk in and actually have that experience with a movie, which is so difficult now to do. You know, that yeah. it hasn't been chewed and chewed and chewed and chewed and chewed right. over. So Yeah, well, that seems like a nice note to end on, maybe. <laughs> thank I, you for, for inviting me. No, well, thank you so much for, for, for coming on the process. And thank you all our loyal listeners for toughing it out with us. And I guess <laughs> we'll see you next year. Okay, cool. Bye-bye. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Bruno Forzani and Helene Cadet's Let the Corpses Tan, a deliriously stylish homage to 1970s Italian crime films soaked with blood, sun, and sex, featuring music by Ennio Morricone, in theaters starting August 31st. Autograph Collection hotels are carefully chosen for their unique design, passion for craft, and an inherent connection to the locale. Each hotel has its own exactly-like-nothing-else story to tell. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project supports independent film and celebrates the power of storytelling to inspire and connect people and places by leaving a lasting imprint. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. Don't forget to check out Nostalgia, now streaming on Mubi. Claim your extended 30-day free trial at mubi.com slash filmcomment. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash filmcomment.